0: Hello, it is the Black Rose Podcast. Um, this is Isaiah Leonard, and then we got Morgan Smith right here, co-hosting with me. Um, we are going to be talking about the Manny Ellis case today, and just giving you guys a quick overview, and also just more conversation between me and Morgan about our feelings, what we think about it, um, what we took from it, everything like that. Just to you know, set a foundation like every episode. IBJ's mission, the purpose of the Institute of For Black Justice, is to relentlessly pursue equity and justice for all. The IBJ mission is threefold, to be an advocate of fairness and equity, and to be an accelerator of justice system transformation, and to be an accomplice to the credible social justice influencers and the communities that they serve, we serve. So that is, that is me for today. Yep.
1: All right. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Um, We are so excited to just dive in. It's a somber topic. Um, We know that many people are affected by it. Um, The death of Manny Ellis, he was a 33-year-old African-American who was tackled, punched, and shocked with a stun gun and held face down on a sidewalk of March of 2020. Um, You know, many of us uh, remember the George Floyd case um, and everything that came with that and the huge controversy that it stirred up in the African-American community. And unfortunately, it is happening. Um, in Tacoma, and these individuals that, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, had a big role in the death of Manny Ellis, were three police officers, on-duty police officers. Um, they they came, they seen him, um, and unfortunately, Manny Ellis uh, lost his life that night. Um, and they say it was during an arrest. But if you guys have been watching the testimony um, and the trials that have occurred from these witnesses, you guys know that it's been told it's a little bit more than just an arrest, right? Because you actually have to be doing something um, suspicious because Manny Ellis was walking down the street coming from the store after getting donuts. um, And then they are pursued uh, in his own neighborhood, on his own street, mind you. Um, Then he was pursued um, and then he was arrested or at least detained, or they were trying to arrest him at this time. Um, They went on to say that the Pierce County Sheriff's Department initially claimed that Ellis had attacked a police car and then attacked officers leading to the arrest. But if you guys have been listening to the trial, there's been some um, some new information coming to light. They also said that state prosecutors Uh, quoted citizen witnesses saying that Ellis did not attack the police car or officers. They also said that it was the officers who initiated the use of physical force on Ellis after a conversation. The video of the incident showed officers repeatedly punching Ellis, choking him and using a taser and knee on him. State prosecutors stated that Ellis was not fighting back Saying that witnesses statements and video evidence didn't show that information, however they did. A police radio recording also showed that Ellis said he can't breathe. That's why I mentioned in the beginning that we were talking about the George Floyd incident. This is is, unfortunately a repeated behavior by the police department and unfortunately it's TPD. Um, I know, Isaiah, you had some questions. I'm just going to, you know, stop there at that point. But I know you had some questions um, that were pertaining to just the beginning of this, you know, trial that many people don't know about. Um, Did you want to ask the audience something to ponder on? If they maybe had the similar questions that, I mean, our voice would like to answer?
0: Right. Um, Thank you for the summary. I feel like that's a really, a really well-made summary. For me, when I was looking into the, to the jury, to like the court dates, to things that were being said, I was kind of looking into like some precedents that were set prior to like them getting into the, like discourse between like the defense and the prosecution and all that stuff. And one thing that I noticed um, is like the, wor- certain words weren't allowed to be said um, for the representatives of Manny Ellis' family um, because they were seen to like incite emotion within the jury, like a word specifically that they talked about was the word hogtied and not using that as a descriptive word because it could incite too much emotion um and constrain the jury away from the situation um and from looking at it with a like strictly logical lens on the other hand though i noticed like they were able to use manny's prior arrests which don't have anything to do with the situation um as a speaking point in the case and there's other ways that like the people who are obviously trying to defend the police department are using that you could say are, is biased or inciting emotion and it goes and it strays away from logic. So I guess on your half, like, I want to see what your perception was of that. Do you feel like it's fair? Like, do you feel like, like, just what are your feelings pertaining to that?
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, the bits that I have noticed and listened to so far in the trial, um, I think that the hog tie method is actually a method used in the police force. And I think, you know, um, trying to say that individuals can't use that type of language because it sways the jury um, is is completely unacceptable, right? I mean, it's some practice that they use. It's not a made-up term. It's not a made-up word. It's actually something that eyewitnesses saw and used in their witness statement saying verbatim that that's the type of maneuver that the TPD used at that time. Um, I think that you know, it, it is a robust trial. I think that I noticed they also try to not only talk about his prior convictions, but they try to talk about his addiction to opioids and how that has played a part leading up to the arrest and how it wasn't him um, him, him actually being in those uh, restrained positions, but him actually having that substance abuse or, or mental health disorder that led up to his death. And I think that that was completely you know, uncalled for. What do you think in regards to those two questions?
0: I think that was a big piece I didn't like as well, because at the end of the day, it's a method and a real thing that is used, the word hogtied and the method of doing it. And I feel like it's so subjective when it comes to saying what is inciting emotion and what is strictly going off of logic, because I can make that argument literally about anything. The yeah. case in itself involves emotion because it is... First of all, I mean, it's it's a murder, but it someone died in it. So there's going to be an emotional part of it. And so I just I feel like that line, I don't feel like there is like a concrete line. I feel like that line is very subject to change based off of the people who have power in the situation to say, oh, the line is here or it's there. Um, so I just say, like, people should be able to speak on it as they as they should. And there really shouldn't be too many things that are outlawed within pertaining like to describing the case and what happened. Uh, And then, like, the other point I'm thinking about uh, that I didn't like, too, when the um, examiner was in the room and he was getting questioned, Um, I mean, we obviously would expect the people who are defending the police department to want to, like, illegitimize the examiner and, like, what he's saying, of course. But the way in which it was being done, just for me, felt like it felt ridiculous, like, especially for what they were trying to point to. You could even see, like, the medical examiner get frustrated multiple times because... They're trying to make him say something that will like just 100 percent nullify like him and his finding and his expert opinion. So like there was just multiple points in this case where I feel like you can just see the bias and you can see the emotion regardless. Um, and It just feels like there's added barriers for the representatives and people defending Ellis in this case.
1: No, I totally agree. I think in particular to the medical examiner's um, examination of the body, it was interesting how uh, the defense attorneys were so pressed on knowing uh, uh, what actually caused the the compressions of his breath. And I think because honestly, he was African-American, they were a little bit more like condescending with their questions. I don't know if you noticed that, but I thought that was pretty interesting that you know, the things that they were saying, they were almost trying to uh, tie him up or like make him confused in his own findings. Like, well, why didn't you, you know, you know, you know, his whole history of his life, like like he's a physician. Right. He, I mean, he's not Manny else's physician. He's not going to go as a, I think a medical examiner. And maybe they do do this. Go look at that individual's history you know, lifelong history to determine or or bring in facts on a case where, you know, you have maybe, what, five days to examine this person's body? Like, they only have so many limited resources. My personal opinion is the fact that they were trying to twist it that way and, like, trying to find the findings of the case when he didn't even have the uh, information presented to him in the beginning, like his prior history for his medical conditions. Or the fact that he had a a growth or a smaller growth in his heart that prevented him from or that he had to deal with all these heart issues in the past. Like, I just, yeah, I think that was foul for sure that they were pressuring him in that regard.
0: I mean, it's something that we obviously would come to expect considering the situation when it comes to like. Just just the history, of the police department, what they've been doing. Like we can think of George Floyd as we were talking about, and this actually happened, I believe, prior, right before, uh, George Floyd, and it just, it, it's one of those things where when I watch it, it frustrates me. But then I have to remind myself, like, what else do I expect from these people? Um, if they're already doing this to this person, so I definitely feel you on that one, um, for sure. And I also think about the the idea or the fact that there's three officers and one person, one man, right um if there's three people in one dude there's not you can you can figure out a different way or method of subduing that person especially when they're clear as day saying they can't breathe so yeah that that rubs me the wrong way but to move on to the next point uh I wanted to ask you I want to ask you like what do you what do you hope or was there anything in this case that surprised you when you were looking into it um, like, did anything catch you off guard? Did everything go as you expected? Um, why or why not? As well.
1: Yeah, sure. I think as uh, honestly, uh, being systemically uh, oppressed for so long in my life, I mean, or in just African Americans' lives, um, I was surprised to see the witness come up. I that the Caucasian lady come up and really speak to the fact that she saw this, she saw it happen she made it known that this is what happened in her backyard and she wasn't afraid to say anything. And then I, the, I mean, just honestly in witnesses in in total that I've seen so far come forward, like the dude that lost his eye, you know, and how they started asking him about questions on how he only has one eye and how could he actually see what he saw? Like, <laughs> like wild. Right. But you know, they came forward, they saw the trial going on or this case um, emerging in the newspaper and they contacted the reporter i'm, I'm just always surprised to see people stick up uh, for our community and really show up and be there regardless of they're subpoenaed or not they're still cha- telling the truth they're not changing their stories you know they're calling facts for facts and i can tell that you know it it, it shakes people but there's so many allies now in the in the african-american community that i can't be overlooked anymore you know, you can't sway anybody's opinion anymore. You know, people have their own facts and they also have their own opinions and they, they're they st- they're starting to own up and stick true to those feelings so, and those facts.
0: Exactly. I feel like it was beautiful to see the advocacy as well. Like, and to see real allyship with someone stepping up and saying what's going on, especially when it's a white lady because we understand like the systemically, the power that she holds just with her identities and a lot of a lot of people in her position could just remain quiet, but she chose to say what it was, and that does make a difference. I think that did catch me a little bit off guard. It always catches me off guard when I see Wiley white speaking about something, I'm not going to lie. Um, okay. so I was like, ooh, for real, like you, okay. Because I know you say BLM, but like, you know what I'm saying? So it was cool uh, for me as well. I would say one thing, when you brought up the person with one eye and how basically they're, they're grasping for straws, trying to find something to illegitimize somebody, that's one thing that never that's something that I really never feel surprised about, especially within a case like this. But in general in life, when it comes to any sort of systemic injustice, people love to look to everything else. And I really just keep thinking back to when the medical examiner is getting grilled and like he's asking roundabout questions to like essentially say that the examiner saying something he's not saying. So they'll be like, do you agree that opioid addiction and uh, methamphetamines are one of the leading causes for death in America? And then the dude be like well yeah okay do you believe this this and that too and then by the end of it, it's like okay well he must be saying this like so all these things are just trying to get around it and like cultivate a response that's not really there or, like cultivate a false reality or just trying to like illegitimize something so you can say what you subjectively feel and the, what you subjectively think and what you subjectively like getting away from the truth and just getting away to the bias you know what i'm saying so i think it all that in terms of like just all of that, the it just feels inauthentic at times when I'm watching the trial. I'm like, be for real. <laughs> Can yeah. we all be for real? If we were if we were being for real, we wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I was feeling about that. To move on to the next subject, um, so one question I was thinking about for myself that I, I still don't fully have an answer for, have some ideas of is if Manny's family and representatives win the case how do you hope this would influence civil legislature meaningfully within Tacoma, Washington, or even like America?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I think that this um, this isn't the first time this has happened, um, unfortunately, in Tacoma or Washington or even in America. And so I think it will provide clarity if you know, the family and representatives and us as the community win this case together. However, I feel like it's almost putting a target on our backs because what happens? When everything rises, sometimes it can fall. You know, as high, as high as you're being put up on that pedestal, or as high as you think you are, and in, in some sort of gratification and winning and and, you know, getting one ups on somebody or you know, feel like you're even making progress. There's always something that comes to knock all that success of feelings or of actual statute down. Um, And so I feel that even if the case is won, there's still work to do. There's still work in, in communities. There's still works in corporations. There's still work in schools. I feel like it's not even just doing or providing more training for the police department anymore. It's not defund the police anymore. You know, it's really not. I feel like there's just more uh, personal uh, mental health approach that needs to happen in, in individualized um, communities because it's not like it's something that's happening everywhere amongst every individual in this police department. It's individuals uh, that are on duty and and are hired into these roles to protect and serve their communities, which in turn manipulate the system of, I am here to police you. You're you're here to police and assist us. You're not here to police us, you know? Like, it's, 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 it's just such a, that question is such a robust, uh, question because there's really no way to answer it you know i feel like systemically we have yeah we have a lot of work to do
0: i feel you on that especially with the question because it's like it's like what do you think could realistically happen like what would you want to happen in a perfect world type type thing and i think that's where i go with it too is like realistically what could happen like if they won I'm not too sure in my in my book how that would even change civil legislation because this is not like it's our first time having this issue, right? Um, yeah. It's just the first, one, one of the few times that we get this many eyes on it and this much press coverage on it, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I think for me, like, you're right, it's a deeper issue than just the, this is just a byproduct of a huge system of inequity. And I think one thing people don't think about at times, it, it goes just beyond the system, it's also the people within that system so if I was to have a hope for what could happen not just after the case but in general um and I think for me um, I'm in college so I connect this to academia at times but I think about it with teachers too some teachers no matter what you do like with the system or what you ask them to change they're stuck in their ways and they're going to remain the same and I think the same thing goes for some police officers in the department who may have their own ways of doing what they do um and those ways obviously can end up bad for marginalized populations. And I think I my my solution to it would be put new people in power in place that can be more equitable in these situations. Um, and even like to make it more clear, not even just equitable, just not be harmful and abrasive and cruel and all these other words. So, yeah, that's where my mind's at with that. Was there anything you were thinking? Um, or any other questions you had in mind when pertaining to this case, or just thoughts on your mind?
1: Yeah, no worries. No, uh, not particularly to questions. I, I encourage everybody co- to continue to watch the trial. If you can't, please show up and show support. I know that we have some uh, information on some tips that have came in to us uh, as we've been notified lately. Um, but we did hear that um, the Ellis family does have a couple options for you guys to serve um, and be a part of this movement right now. Uh, If you can't show up, if you can't watch online, there's other ways to support. There's a meal train going on and I will add the link here in the chat. Uh, We will actually be talking um, weekly, a little update about the case. Uh, We just wanted to provide you guys with just a brief overview, but as the case continues to go on, we will be giving you updates. Uh, For more information, the family also does have a GoFundMe up. So if you guys aren't able to connect with the meal train, um, I will actually, uh, I don't have the GoFundMe at this moment, but if you guys are able to go onto social media and look up the Manny Ellis trial, please, please, please click the link and um, donate. But Isaiah, I did have some questions for you, though, pertaining um, to the anonymous... A tip that we got, um, and while we're talking about um, the marginalized community and suppression on what we think, you know, civil legislation would do to change or assist us um, in the change of, uh, you know, individuals being, individuals being uh, killed, honestly, at the hands of police officers. We got a tip that the Ellis family has actually been harassed um since the trial has started. Um, what do you feel in regards to that? Do you feel like this is something that, you know, was was bound to happen? I mean, they're they're really going up against the the TPD. Mind you, there are allies in TPD. But what do you feel about that? I mean, it's crazy.
0: Mm-hmm um I guess from like a a more personal and emotional perspective it just hurts to hear because they lost a son and a brother and someone's cousin and someone's nephew and someone's you know what I'm saying like that's they just are they're still grieving the death of their family that has not been done right by the system in any means and then with that like you got to think about someone can vandalize my home or my car or my body or myself or my children. Like I can't go to the park for real because I don't know who's looking out for me. And also like when you're dealing with something so powerful, the entity of like this big system, the system that has like the police involved and everybody else, like you don't know who sent who to come after you as well. It's not always just random sporadic people. So I think for me, I just empathize um, a lot with the family, but also just from a safety perspective, um without using any uh you know vulgar language, I'll just say it pisses me off. It just makes me mad because like it's just crazy how they are victims of this situation, yet they're being treated as if they are the culprits and the, the people who did something wrong, which is just so insane. Um and I just think it just shows the lack of empathy within not only people but the system for um specifically black low income people and just other marginalized populations in general. So it just, it really just makes me mad and irritated because there's just a level of peace that I feel like everybody deserves to have. And that's been taken away from the community and safety. Um, So, yeah. And then as far as like what I feel like in terms of like, should it be expected or something like that? I mean, in a way, Black people already expect it, um, but you would already assume, I'm I'm sure they already knew um, once everything got publicized And once it became an issue that they were going to fight for, um, that, you know, they're fighting against the system. They're fighting against white supremacy and all these other things. And that comes harm historically and currently. So, yeah, that's.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you for that feedback. Talking from an emotional standpoint as a black male in Tacoma, like it's it's always good to hear that emotional response on how it really made you feel. In the chat real quick, you guys, I'm gonna add in the link to reserve a seat for the trial. Click the link um, and you can uh, gain information on how to reserve your spot as seats are limited. I know they get posted by 12 o'clock noon each day, Monday through Thursday, there's no uh, court on Friday. So you guys are able to um, understand by clicking the link um, for more information on how to register. I did want to say, though, as much as we're talking about the trial, um, awesome, awesome. As more as we're talking about uh, the trial, um, you know, people don't also realize that Manny's sister and mother both have health challenges that makes the stress of the trial even more difficult to manage. So, not only showing up, not only, you know, being present, but being harassed. By people and, and you know as this anonymous tipster has given us this information about these things that have been happening to their family, uh, uh, tires being slashed, uh, also uh, discovering that they may have a tracking device on their car, you know that that is that's that's beyond unsafe and uncomfortable, um, you know, and now it's disrupting the whole livelihood. Uh, of their family, not only having the loss of their brother and their and their son. That's unfortunate. It really is. Um, I did want to talk to you guys before we do take off today. We do have um, an event coming up called Black the Vote. It's a Blackween event. Um, it will be on October the 30th at the Grand Theater from 7 to 10 p.m. Um, we'll go ahead and log in the registration link underneath the podcast. So please feel free. Registration will close soon um, as our seats are filling up fast. So please make sure you register as soon as possible. Um, other than that, we hope that you guys can make it um, in two weeks to the next podcast. If you guys have any information um, uh, pertaining to the trial, or pertaining to the event, or just even a topic that you want us to speak on um, during the podcast, let us know. And also, the links to register will be on the website for the Black Oween event, and all the links for the Manny trial will be underneath the video. And uh, yeah, okay, Isaiah, did you want to close us out?
0: Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you for listening, and we're excited to see you next time on the IBJ Black Rose Podcast. Alrighty. Thanks guys.